No, but in the flashback, Kevin Spacey didn't play Kaiser Soze. Are you sure? I really I don't. Him. Did he? I think it is. I've seen that movie a million times, and I thought okay. that I might be wrong. Part of the because wouldn't that give away the whole big twist of Usual Suspects? It's a little out of if focus. If you recognize that it's, it's a little out of Kevin focus. Spacey, okay. Also, Kaiser Soze has verbal cants t- stitched on his breastplate. It's weird. <laughs> Why does he have a breastplate? What's going on in this movie? We've had a strange conversation. Uh, Are you recording right now? Yeah. yeah. I wish I was recording all the shit we were saying about the nature of human consciousness, but my consciousness didn't cause me to, so it wasn't meant to be. Hmm. Uh, sorry, I, ap- I accidentally <laughs> opened the program that changes the color of my keyboard keys. Well, what I color was- are they right now? Right now, they're green, but I can make them like a spa where they slowly change from teal to green to red to yellow. Like some kind of supernatural fermenting process? The laptop that all of Small Beans is run from is a toy. Let's let's just stop beating around the bush. How could that surprise anyone? It's a child's toy, (laughs) and I run it my whole life. Like, my whole small business is built on this box. Right. It's also fucking heavy. That thing looks like it's 30 pounds. 17.2 pounds. It looks heavier than that. All right. It took me, I had to buy three different uh, laptop cases that said they would be large enough to carry it and return them because they weren't. <laughs> yeah. And like write a place and I like, I was like, no, I'm not kidding around. It's real big. Like it's 17 inch screen. I get that. But the width around it is also several inches. I need right. your biggest bag. <laughs> Yeah. That thing it looks, looks military grade. It does look military grade. It is called the Predator and yeah. it screams when you turn it on. Um, I think so that's do dessert. I. <laughs> Ooh. With us for our special bonus episode this month, uh, we swapped Abe out for another Small Beans superstar, Adam mm. Ganser, who mm. you've been hearing. Thank you. And our special guest to answer non-Small Beans related questions is Ryan Pequin, creator of Three Word Phrase and a major creative force behind Cartoon Network, founder of Cartoon Network, correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Great, oh, great, I didn't great. I that. That's cool. Yeah. Four he years was, ago. He was wow. a fetus. Oh, no. Network. We're going the other direction with that bit. Oh. Cartoon Network is four years old. Yeah. Great. I, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> sorry to undermine you on that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we have some great questions from you, our cool beans, which is what we call our patrons. God, I love this three-word phrase. I posted as the teaser for you. Come on, daddy needs a pair, new pair of dice. These ones are all fucked up and weird. And the dice say, my favorite surface on the dice is a arm. Yeah, mine too. Yeah, uh, arm. Grammatically I, incorrect in the best way. <laughs> <laughs> That's a weird one because I, I also wrote "kiss your dad" on that, which yes. is the uh, it's like the catchphrase for the McElroy brothers, which I did not. Oh, realize. kiss your dad square on the lips. They say it all the time. <laughs> but Great. that was just uh, 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 one of those coinky dinks. Yeah, yeah. creative Quinky convergence. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yep. Parallel tracks. <laughs> so so ships like, passing in the night. Picture of <laughs> penis and the word thanks in air quotes <laughs> on one of the sides of the dice. Oh, boy. Thanks. That's a silly one. <laughs> uh, also interesting because I believe the phrase is daddy needs a new pair of shoes, but that's just me being a pedantic dick. <laughs> thanks. Thanks in thanks. quotes. Let's get right to the questions from our very nice audience. Yeah. Oh, we have quite a large-hearted audience, except for Jarlin. Fuck you, bro. I hope you hear this. All right. So Corey asks, <laughs> Ryan, you don't have to wade into that either way. I would never. Corey asks, Ryan, any plans to resume three-word phrase as a webcomic? So how does three-word phrase mesh with your current job? Does your current job completely destroy all possibility <laughs> of new webcomics or what? Uh, 
It doesn't completely destroy it. It's more just... It's been long enough now since I kind of stopped that I don't even know that if I made... Even if I made another gag strip, I Mm -hmm. don't know if it would feel like it existed in the same universe anymore as the original three-word phrase stuff. Like, I feel like... Mm. I'm not the same person necessarily that I was. Also, you know, the time, like, the, the era now of webcomics or just of what I think is funny has is, is changed enough that yeah. I don't know that it would feel like the exact same project. I would like to make more comics, and I'd especially like to just, like, get to be funny and just, like, fart jokes out. I think yeah. I kind of just use Twitter for that, which is not as permanent and kind of a bummer, but... Do you uh, find <laughs> ideas that would have probably eventually become a three-word phrase going into the regular show? Well, well, okay, first of all, <laughs> regular show has been canceled. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, no. But have you? <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, I, I've definitely used some silly ideas. Or uh, new projects. That, that, yeah, um, less than I'd like. Less than I'd like. I feel like hmm. my, my, my brain space is not in the... I'm not in the same place... I, I, I don't sit down to come up with a gag and come up with the, like, not as much as I used to, oh, not I as much as I'd so like to, much. for sure. Yeah, I found my brain is really good at coming up with whatever it needs to, but it takes some time for me to set it on what it is. So, like, I used yeah. to write for a satire paper, and after a few weeks of pitching those, my brain came up with three or four headline ideas a day. I never think of a headline joke anymore. Right. Like, you switch it over, so your brain probably comes up with longer form narrative or scene jokes or character jokes. Right. And I got to say, I just admire the comics I admire so much more because <laughs> I've never had the ability to get my head in the place of like yourself or a far side or a Perry Bible fellowship. I cannot think of jokes that are just like, we're in, we're out. Two panels, one line of text, hilarious. It's, it has an amazing, amazing like concision to it that I really admire. Yeah. And I wanted to ask, was that an effort? Or was it like a little bit of an effort and then you found your brain just coming up with them? Uh, I mean, getting in and getting out was kind of just, it's just an, uh, the format, first of all, because it was like, I wanted to be funny, but I didn't, I'd, before I made Three Word Phrase, I'd never written a joke in my life. I'd mm. never even tr- ma- made any attempt to be a part, like a specifically funny person aside from like in conversation. Huh. Or, yeah, yeah, never, <laughs> ever. Um, and I think That's part interesting. of it, yeah, part of the, the way Three Word Phrase came about was the original thing of it was a friend actually basically dared me to make uh, a gag strip like one single strip and he gave me the idea for it which was anxiety which so if you look up the one where barack obama wants to shake hands with the sweaty guy Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. was the first comic i ever made and so the concept of three-word phrase for the first while like the first few months was literally i would sit and get an idea and then write out the first thing that came to mind Oh, that, so wow. I think so it was, you had a process because yeah, yeah, process can help if you're like, this is how I'm gonna do and it. And that was and my I think my process was largely to avoid feeling bad if it didn't work. Yeah, sure. It's like, like ah, I didn't even work that long I, on it. I just kind of threw it out there, so whatever. <laughs> but I think that's where part of the like the the feeling and tone of three word three word phrase came from was like just kind of tossing out ideas and seeing if it was funny or. sometimes even just like avoiding a punchline and like a lot of my earlier strips I think sort of show that more than later strips. Mm -hmm. Later strips I think are more are more like what you're talking about which is like set up, set up, punchline. Mm -hmm. Like a three word phrase if you will. uh, Like a three word (laughs) phrase because it kind of had to evolve after a while but at first it was just like 
literally just I, I want to be making something and I need something today and I need so here's the to, thing yeah and that's, that's a great and way I knew to how start to, and man. I kind of was okay at drawing so yeah. like that was where that's why it's a comic well I've seen like, you post art on Twitter like you were headed in an, a fine arts direction yep. already right but you yeah. hadn't done a comic before that is really interesting did you because I dreamed of being a comic artist penciler sure and now I'm whatever the fuck this is <laughs> what did uh, before you got diverted, not saying you're unhappy with your life choices, but <laughs> what did you imagine you were going to be? Like, what were you aiming at before you ever started three-word phrase and then got into animation and all Holy this stuff? Holy moly, like, well, I mean, uh, after graduating high school, I, like, in high school, I was always the kid that could draw. Yeah. Which, in high school, means nothing. It just means you're slightly better. You've paid a you little a more attention to that than yeah. anyone else because no one draws. <laughs> right. And so that was, like, my thing I was good at. I thought in my head, so I thought, okay, and I come from a small town and don't know anything, so I went to fine art. Fine art was not at all remotely close to what I thought I wanted to do. What I really wanted to do was illustrate, it mm. turns out. Huh. Fine arts is not illustration. I mean, it, you can put them in the same place, like they illustration overlap. can fit in there. But did they yeah, not yeah. have classes geared toward being like a commercial Ab- magazine illustrator or anything like that? Close. When, wow. when no, did you find that out? right away Ooh. like jumping in stick and, it out and anyway yeah i mean i i, I thought well for a year only okay. for a year and i jumped so in so you are a dropout i just want Absolutely. that on the record good, 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 several good. things <laughs> well and that's how this works is like at first i wanted to do that and then i found out like they don't care if you can draw well in fine arts it does not matter one what day. do what do they care they about? want in ideas it's just about conceptual about cons- yeah showing okay. a concept in an interesting way that no one else has done and i i learned to value that but I wasn't good at it. I think back on my fine arts projects and they were, oh my God, they're so embarrassingly bad. So I quit that. And then I thought I'd be a writer. So I joined English, which is also not what you do to be right. a writer. Right. So I quit that. And then I went into design, which I finished. You get real good at that. reading, though, as an I, English yes, graduate, I can say. very good at reading, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm still quite good at, to be honest. Uh, I can read like, like nobody's business. <laughs> Uh, but then I went into design. I thought I would do design because it seemed like sort of the middle ground between illustration and like coming up with ideas and mm-hmm. also that you could actually like do it as a job. Yeah. Uh, but then, I mean, I, I left that and I did some illustration and stuff, some commercial illustration, which I thought would just be the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And then got asked to make a joke. And then that, the the fact is like the, the instant two people were like, hey, that's a funny joke. I was like, okay. That's now, it. Dude, I'm good. I like, need this validation The dopamine forever. flooding my body right now sure. has just sent oh. me over in this direction. Wow. Fans do mean the world. Uh, it's through, true. Yeah, it's true. The, and, and it was like, I always wanted to be, I always wished I was like the class clown and stuff, and I never was. So the instant someone was like, someone passed around a comic yeah. or a joke, no, I was like, funny. what else you can just, I even do? You just didn't know you were funny yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. not really. Um, huh. So yeah, I kind of, I went through a lot of different stuff. I mean, I didn't, and I didn't get work at Cartoon Network till I was like 30. So <laughs> I really, I've, I've gone through my whole life just flailing around trying to find the thing I was good at. And I still don't have work at Cartoon Network. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get it till I was 30 either. Yeah. <laughs> cracks? Did you start Cracks at 30? 32. You did have a successful 31. career before that, though. Su- yeah, sure. Sure. That's true. Uh, okay, this is depressing me, so I'm going to go to the next question. <laughs> yeah. Corey finishes by saying, I've never learned as much about trepanation as I did from you, Ryan. <laughs> and I haven't learned anything since, which offends me greatly, because we have made available for free 
our feature film, which we worked very, very hard on, which is a horror comedy in which the killer trepanates all his victims. So, Corey, if you haven't seen Kill Me Now, watch Kill Me Now. Uh, Corey also asked, Michael, what's your favorite Sonic game, my fellow hedgehead? I feel as though I haven't heard this asked before, but could be ignorant. Mine's Sonic 2. Uh, Sonic 2, I think, is the gold standard. Uh We're going to talk about this at length in our Sonic CD episode. Uh Sonic CD has the special place in my heart because very few kids had the Sega CD, so it just felt exclusive. I think it does have good level design, but as an adult, when I go back and play Sonic 2, I'm like, Sonic 2 is even better. It's true. I see why it's the gold standard. It's the level design. But also, I really like Knuckles. I like how Knuckles introduced a new way to navigate and really refresh the playthrough. So my favorite official Sonic game is the Sonic and Knuckles Sega Genesis cartridge that had the flap on the top you could open and, and put any of the previous Sonic games in, yeah. and it would add Knuckles to those games. Yeah, yeah. What? Right? S- S- Sega Ryan had a couple of things like that. No, this existed. Blew my mind. Isn't that fucking yeah. awesome technology? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. You could plug the old Sonic 1 cartridge into Sonic and Knuckles and then play as Knuckles or Tails. It was nuts. You plug the Game Genie into that. You got a gaming stack eight inches high, my friend. <laughs> I don't yeah, know if that's good. Sega had a lot of those uh, add on. The 32X was yeah, a whole system a that, that just right. plugged into the Genesis. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Adam and Michael, thoughts on Henry Cavill as Geralt for the Witcher movie? Bad. That's I don't, a bad decision. I think The Witcher is a bad franchise oh, as I, games, oh, no. which we'll have to argue about on a later episode. Yeah. And that I know really you like me. it, yeah. so your opinion matters much more. How I you, just think he's... I, I mean, I said this on a Hypecast, but like, I don't think anybody should be Geralt if... Uh, they're not a gruff son of a bitch. If they don't seem a thousand if, years old. Yeah, if, <laughs> if they're not like emotionless and sort of like and like smarmy a little bit and like just just a Bruce Willis type guy, you know, like one Kirk of those like Douglas, Ugh. still available, my friend, hundred and one <laughs> like, years right, young. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> what would you think of Ron Perlman? Not handsome enough. Definitely not handsome enough. So that's what's interesting is when you say gruff, I think of like Tom Waits, Ron Perlman. His have you played Witcher, Ryan? I have not. Uh, a tiny bit. All right. But he's like a million-year-old, not a vampire, but he's like a million-year-old, you know, being yeah. that fucks everything, he, and it's he's just really not gruff. A million. He, he, he's like a couple hundred years I old. He, I mean, I, I know I, I know you don't give a shit. You know who the closest approximation really is? The important really point is? is he has sex with all the girls and then draws cards of them and saves them in his little booty pouch. Who should it be? all of that go. Clint Eastwood. A young Clint Eastwood is a perfect No, 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 alive now today. Like, they're going to make it now, man. Uh, oh, that's a great answer, but I'm, I'm upping the stakes. That's fair. Um, Hugh Jackman. Okay. What about Tom Hardy? And yeah. I'm, I'm thinking of Bronson. Tom I'm Hard- thinking of his performance yeah, in Bronson. Yeah, Tom Hardy could do it. Yeah, he could do it. He, Tom Hardy has a feeling like there's something cruel in him. I I, 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 I'm, I'm not I hope ju- we don't find out. I'm not That's judging true, the man. Yeah. I'm just saying he has that feeling. Uh, Which is funny because his social media is all him like cuddling oh, with dogs. He's and a stuff. doll. It's really is that cute. What it is? Yeah, he's That's, adorable in real okay. life. Well, that's I love. Uh, you follow Patrick Stewart? Uh, no, no. He just posts him with cute dogs and like nice old man stuff like drinking tea in his socks and sandals. So he'll even be like, Go see Green Room. I play a really mean Nazi. I and it's, play a Nazi. it's like a mastiff licking his face. It's, right. He should not be adorable. He should only be allowed on boats, except <laughs> yeah. for when he's working. Like, he should just live on a boat all or the time. Or starships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know what? I think you're right. I think that's the right 
zone. Tom for Hardy Tom nailed Hardy. it. Yep. All right, Zach Barry asks. Uh, first for the Small Beans crew, but Ryan, if you have an answer, I don't know if this will apply to your life. I haven't read it yet. What inspired Small Beans? Okay, this won't apply to you, Ryan. Heads up. I have some thoughts. <laughs> to get into the internet comedy game. Well, I'd, I'd be interested. Well, you kind of just gave that story yeah. from your point of view. Yeah. What events unfolded that led you there? I wanted to make movies. At the time I graduated college, making web videos was a way to get into that. For many of our uh, co-workers and contemporaries it has been maybe it will be for me too someday I'm still plugging away uh, I make no illusions I think to the audience that I want to write and direct movies eventually uh, or at least write them and uh, so the answer is because the opportunity presented itself it was a way to start making video immediately even mm-hmm. if it wasn't features yeah. Adam uh I didn't get into internet comedy on purpose, but I got into filmmaking on purpose. Um, internet comedy, I got into it because somebody offered me a job to be a director uh, for money, and their content wasn't bad. It was good. Uh, and I had made some comedy things, not very much, uh, so I did it. I mean, like because I'm a filmmaker, that's what I do, and that's what mm-hmm. I care about. And for a long time, it was a good opportunity, and um, but I don't feel the I don't feel beholden to being a comedian at all. Sure, I could, but I don't. I but don't I, make my own yeah. comedy content because I don't care about that. Oh man, I always wanted to write super dark science fiction short stories yeah. and sell them to magazines, but that's not a real job anymore. I care. It stopped yeah. being in 1962. <laughs> I just care about uh, I care about telling stories that I like. That's it. Yeah. I, they can be funny, but they don't have to be. You know, I, I'm not. Uh, that doesn't matter to me. That's true. Yeah. You've I never been that funny. Never been that funny. No, never. I, I thought I was going to make more serious stuff earlier in my career. I have like one short story that's that's just like a straightforward yeah. narrative thing. Uh, I, I think just I got more more of a reaction from my comedy than my other stuff. So yep. I think almost every aspiring writer who's 19 thinks they're going to be like Michael Chabon. But a lot of you are going to write Simpsons episodes, and that's good, too. So <laughs> fuck yourself. Well, and also, you'll have done a lot with your life if you write a Simpsons episode. That's true. That's not easy to do. Hey, I feel, honestly, because I do see the person I am and my identity, I happen to view it as a total happenstance of, like, my identity feels separate from any aspects of my personality, which is a fucking weird thing to say. But I just feel lucky to have been born with a mind that can create good shit, like Adam was saying. I don't care if it ever takes off beyond me being to pay the bills. Like, I know the shit I write is good, to me at least, and I'm grateful that I can sit down and shit comes out of my brain that I go, that's cool. Hmm. Um, and so honored that, like, I don't know, many of our, you know, subsidiary positions, not to, like, <laughs> diminish, but um, beneath director, like, DP, cinematographer, producers. We've gotten producers and cinematographers, Nick Lazo, Michael Cox, <coughs> who are way more skilled and accomplished than we deserve, honestly. Like, they could have left us for greener pastures. And it's just so gratifying every time, like, Michael Cox comes to work on one of our stupid sketches for below pay that he deserves. And it's like, yeah, but your shit is funny, so it's fun to film it because it's good dialogue. Like, yeah, I got six figures to shoot this feature, it sucks, and no one's going to remember it. And it just means a lot to me that that means a lot to them. So Yeah. 
Hey, please stay fans. Zach Hudson asks, no. Zach Barry. Ooh, two Zachs in a row. Zach Barry with the second question for Ryan. What is the hardest part of creating a webcomic, which you don't do anymore? Well, I mean, uh, just as far as the hardest part is always just writing. It's coming. It's finding something that that opens up avenues to even becoming anything. Uh, I have a really bad habit of just sitting down to make something with no ideas beforehand and it never works. That's a good habit. I wish I had. I can't do it though is the okay. problem. Like the, the thing I would do is I would crowdsource just words, single words on Twitter. And then uh, as I scan through the words, I'd find one, th- like I had to, I had to give myself some stuff where I can scan through it and let my brain focus in on something that might become uh, something. The high school improv team strategy. Uh, yeah, I basically, Can I get a word from yeah, the audience? Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. I, oh, boy. <laughs> well, I mean, that's what I had to do. And I don't know. Coming up with stuff out of relatively thin air is really, really hard. And I think that's maybe partially why I don't really make comics anymore is like working in TV you get given, uh, like working on regular show, we right, were given right. outlines and outlines right. give you this basis to then take that and then write dialogue and write jokes and, and come up with something based on, like that's why I'd rather sit in a room with other funny people and riff jokes. Yep. Oh yeah. Doing it alone felt insane sometimes because it's like, Chris Onstead talks about this where it's like he would sit for like eight hours mm-hmm. and write, a, write one single Akewood and it's like, that's how it, and I would do that, and it would. I was doing three panels, because yeah. you don't. You, and he's you don't done. He's like, this is five panels of cats talking. Why did it take me eight hours? Yeah. Because you have no feedback. You have no idea if it's funny. <laughs> right. I still like. Uh, to this day, I'll read through my comics and be either hot or cold on whether any of them are funny or not. And like, when you're in the middle of making it, it's even sure. worse. Like you'll it's put stuff out just confusing. Like, I don't yeah. know. I th- my brain kind of reacted to this, but. Mm. J- j- being funny is fucking impossible. What's your favorite daily mm. comic, web or otherwise? It was always Aquid. Aquid. Okay. I mean, it's not still a daily comic, but what I don't even I don't follow a lot of web comics anymore. Aquid so is I don't really know. truly a masterpiece of all media. But I guess I also want to know. I just need confirmation. You like Calvin and Hobbes, right? Oh my god. <laughs> okay, good. Calvin Calvin and Hobbes is I haven't met I anybody would, that hates that. I've never is met anybody. Is like, nah, didn't care for it. Yeah. You've met, you've met somebody like that? No, no, no. I would say Calvin and Hobbes was like one of the most formative things in my life. My yep, entire that too. formed my brain. <laughs> it definitely was like it was like Calvin and Hobbes was first. And then the far, far side, side. Yeah. and then after the far side was Life in Hell by Matt Groening. Ooh, yeah, uh, did you see the Far Side animated movie that only ran once not. on CBS? I have it on VHS. I, I would, should give I it to you. Absolutely, watch that. <laughs> That's it's funny, crazy. The yeah. Far Side was, was this interesting thing for me because it was like funny to me, even when I had no fucking clue what the joke was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I was like seven reading them, and I'd be like, I I don't know what he's saying. Yeah, I have yeah. no clue. But I think that this is funny. That cow's talking. He's got a cowboy hat also, on. Also, like, <laughs> why is everyone a middle-aged, like, wide as two doors? Why is this you a know, panel like, about the Olympics, but right. everyone's overweight anyway? Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> His yep. drawings are funny. Like, they're, they're intrinsically great. funny. They're I, I think it was like, my my young brain was like, okay, humor is not just stuff that I understand. Like, there's another tier to it that I can aspire to yeah. at some point. <laughs> I wasn't putting it in those words at the time, but I think that's what the far side was where Calvin and Hobbes, I tended to 
you know, you could follow it yeah. more easily. Yes. Not all of it, but yeah. I think it's Dark's interesting so that your comedy is such a individualized experience. Because for me, being funny is usually not something I'm doing alone. Right. You know what I mean? Like being funny is almost always a social activity in my experience. I think writing a sketch, a series... I think writing a novel is e- easier than writing a webcomic, for me personally. Yeah. Which I don't think people who haven't written probably understand, but like the shortness makes it so intimidating. You yeah. have to be perfect. <laughs> which, which, is, which is why I gave myself that silly, the, the out when I started making it. It mm-hmm. was like, if people didn't like it, I could be like, hey, well, I just shat that out. Yeah. Who cares? And then as it became... Once pe- I knew people would like cared it. about it, yeah, I, I, you know, yeah, I the think weight settled on your shoulders <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. I don't even know that my I wouldn't even say I necessarily got that much better at it or funnier. <laughs> it just it's just my brain was like, okay, now I have to write real jokes. But I think there's something about being expected to deliver, yeah. comedy that is that teaches you a lot about a what's funny and b what your go tos are. These yeah. are the things I go to. Like yeah. I like these seven kinds of things. Yeah. Um and you know, every comedian yeah. and showrunner, you can see that Definitely. in them, you know. And then it's how do you go to those same seven wells and not repeat yourself over and over and over again, mm-hmm. which is why I only have 300 comics because <laughs> it was right. like after a certain point you're like, "Oh, that is funny, but it's the same." For a while it was like I was doing the Aquid thing. I, I was heavily inspired by just the way he used dialogue. Like oh roast beef's dialogue has no punctuation. It's got this weird cadence to it that is like so delightful to read. His skill for dialect is on par with the Coen brothers. Yeah. And I think that's an important thing for people to recognize. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> so a lot of my jokes in like the middle portion, I think are like, this is funny to read because it's weird. It's like, it's yeah. odd. You don't the really know how to read it. You and... couldn't read this out loud necessarily, <laughs> right. which I thought was, I love the idea of that. Cause it's right. the same with like, did you guys see Onstad's, um, his like, uh, uh, pilot thing he made where he voiced. Oh, I don't think so. No, no. it's so strange because oh it's like, and it, of the people who are going to know how roast beef is supposed to sound. Right. It's him. Right. And even then I was like, I don't know. You, you can't read punctuationless dialogue without it coming out like a person's trying to do that. But when when you're reading it, like when you guys read, do you hear a voice? Yes. Uh, Well, when I read comics, yes. When I read Aquid, yes. It depends. Not always. I I know what you're, I know what you're getting at. I never ever do. It's just, it's just words. And I think that's what I loved about his stuff was just making words fit into, like I would rewrite some dumbass like, Someone just saying a bit of dialogue with like an odd little turn in it. Yeah. And I'd rewrite it 500 times because it had to be exactly. Oh, I do hear voices off. that I create. Like I could imitate what in my head each of the characters sounds I, like. I That's feel like the more distinct they are, the more a voice becomes like manifest. Yes. But like, for instance, when I read Ernest Hemingway, who I understand everyone reveres still, like I think he writes the kind of prose that defies having a voice in some ways because it's so terse and not. Right. Yeah. Right, it's just you words. Know, like, yeah. yeah, some people do that, uh, and then sure. there's people like Faulkner who don't. You know, I'm using I'm just using right, literary. Right, right. Yeah. Well, I think Poles. it's like, uh, like you were talking about moving into writing and doing stuff after comics is like you get a little more character driven, or you you, yeah. you you think about things differently. You have a longer runway right. to do shit like that. When I was working in, in comics, when I was making through a phrase, it was never really characters. It was concept. I would love if you're looking at like President Bird shitting on someone. You're like. 
but what does he feel? <laughs> yeah. What does he think? What Where is, is this going? Where is motivations? <laughs> it was never that. I think like when I'm making something, I, I really like it to just be a an idea that I'm pushing, I'm pulling out to as far mm-hmm. as I can, I can comfortably do it. Huh. It's not usually like, yeah, it's not <laughs> President Bird would do this Epic in their world form, building. But, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, do you hear a voice for Hobbes? No, I don't. Either. I was about to say that. And Bill Watterson, obvious, like he had many very lucrative offers to make a TV show or movie. Obviously, in the era of Paddington and Paddington Two, like we could have a fucking awesome Calvin and Hobbes movie. And as I, up until recently, I really was angry at him for that because I know, and if you read Calvin and Hobbes, you'll see it. He hates TV. Thinks right, it right. rots our brains. I don't fully agree with that. I think it depends what TV shows you watch. He's, he's, a, he's a real catcher in the right He's an old-fashioned dude. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I actually do end up appreciating, like, you're right. I didn't need a cartoon of Hobbes. It would have detracted. Well, and he but, did everything right. He got out after 10 years. He didn't, you know. God. It's, it's hard not it's to, like, It's like Seinfeld like, well, or something. It's like, in, out, perfect run, and bye. I, I would <laughs> argue, yeah, and I would argue not even Seinfeld's as good consistently as, as Calvin, Calvin and Hobbes. Hobbes yeah. Um, yeah. Damn. Got to move on to another question, but we'll sure. do a Calvin and Hobbes circle jerk after this. <laughs> Zach Hudson, Great. our second Zach, asks, I think this is for you and me, Adam. Mm. In your yeah creative video process, how often do you see a veto from the main producer? I assume he means in the past when we were employed. Right. I'm assuming you received a set parameter for what each sketch should entail for Beans participants. This would be like canning or editing. We're familiar with the lingo, Zach. <laughs> Um, basically, Who says we're not? He's asking yeah. how censored we were. It cracked, or or whenever you've had oversight in your creative. I'd say not much because, honestly, my sentiments are not that blue. I do like saying fuck. Like I don't care about saying fuck, and I like dick and poop and vagina jokes. But I really don't go hard towards dark humor or humor that's like. Fuck this dick. It's like, dicks are funny. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> I think most people who know my humor will know it's pretty fuzzy. Uh, so I didn't have any... That's not like a put-on persona. There was no one at Cracked who was like, oh, these dead baby sketches, Mike. We can't run this shit. <laughs> Can you just you know? stop writing <laughs> yeah. them every week? <laughs> and I will say, like, we met with sketch troops, and I won't say their name, but they are a very famous YouTube troop. Two brothers, that narrows it down, but doesn't give it away. I can think of multiple. Who I, we worked with repeatedly, and in their persona online, they only do even broader sketches than we did. Like, very family-friendly, PG-rated sketches, I would say. They only pitched rape jokes. Like, wow. as if they had it all bottled up, and it was like their only chance, you know? Time to be edgy. That's the only time I really remember crack censoring shit was like, where the fuck are you coming from with all these rape jokes? And that was us, like the creatives, saying, no, we're not going to do that. The other time was uh, when we did a sketch with Aisha Tyler for Pepsi. This was really early. It was really early on yeah. in which she ate a hot dog. No, that's not even the bad one. They told us to cut the shot of her eating a hot dog because it implies blowjobs. I eat lots of hot dogs. I'm not always thinking about a blowjob. Not Just most time. of the time. Yeah, yeah. not every time. Yeah. But second of all, here's the real one. In the sketch, it's called Hot Dog Machine or something, and they say we have this machine that makes hot dogs. I forget. It was bad. But she says, how is that possible? And they say magic. And she goes, no, that's what's the real answer? They literally said, and this is the only time I remember cutting a heart, huge chunk of a sketch. 
uh, for this, for like sensorial reasons. Pepsi said they would take back their ad money if we didn't change that because they couldn't be aligned with the idea that magic is not real. In the Pepsi verse, magic is real. I love it. That's I love a that corporate so standard. Much. It's a corporate standard for Pepsi that the adults in suits who work there never admit that magic isn't real. That's so good. Insane. How about you, Adam? I love that Were so much. Were you censored by anyone at Cracked? <laughs> well, I think there's two kinds. I mean, I, when people say censor, I think they there's part like that content's inappropriate. And then there's the, like the, like, you're you not allowed edgy? to make things that you want to make, or like, like in a more broad you're sense. You're telling truth about power, man. You can't right. do that. Nobody, <laughs> I never got censored uh, in terms of black, like just sort like blue content, like just darker content. I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't get censored like that. There was an amount of like, this is what Cracked makes that I wouldn't have made. We were all molded to fit the voice. That's true. right. And I fit less than most people into that voice. Dan and Jack fit the most because they created the voice. Sure. <laughs> and I'm not, it's not even about like who, it, I just am, it was less my voice. So yeah. I had less opportunity as a writer there because I just didn't, super connect to it as a filmmaker the censorship was a lot more uh because but financial mostly, it was all it's right? all it's always motivated by money nobody ever told me what i could or couldn't no one shoot. said this shot is offensive they said you can't afford but that. i did get into <laughs> well i got into arguments about film tools all the time and about how much time i had and like every single thing i ever made for cracked and not because people were mean just this is how budgets work was with a gun to my head, under budget, short on time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, every single one of them, and like that's just how this is. That's the business, and nobody they was... keep that pressure on because they want low overhead, and it works. You get slightly lower and... overhead in exchange for incredibly stressed out employees. Well, I don't want to. <laughs> I'm not here to trash. Every, I, it, it's more that no, like, I'm doing it for you. It, I don't, but I don't. It, I don't. <laughs> there's no hard feelings about this. It, it's more that like, uh, it worked though. Yeah. Like it worked. Like you could make me do it for less money and time, and I did it. And like you know, I think a lot of employees find themselves in that situation, right? In the beginning and middle parts of their career, right? And that's that's, that's yeah, just you got every me. business. I'm gonna do it because I want to be here, <laughs> right? <got> because <laughs> like nobody else is gonna pay me to make this bullshit zombie thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like nobody else is gonna give me a hundred grand or whatever to make a, a Star Wars. And they're parody. like, fine, then we'll <laughs> give you eighty grand, and you're like. Right. Fine. (laughs) It'll be less Star Wars, but fine. Uh, So censorship by way of budget is, I think, a regular experience for everybody. Sure. Matt Cowan asks, oh, we love Matt. Hi, Matt Cowan. Ryan, how long did it take you to finalize your style for three-word phrase, and what did earlier styles look like? It sounds like you just went right out of the gate with the way it is. Is that true? Yeah, there is no development phase of a three-word phrase. The the if you look go look at the first <laughs> comics, that was the style. It was like get this shit out into the world as fast as humanly Dang. possible. I was hoping there was a whole notebook of like the cubist period, like <laughs> testing, oh, stretch and no. squash animations for each of the characters. But it, it was kind of interesting because I'd never cartooned before. I'd never drawn cartoons really in my life mm-hmm. like that. So that was just like. You can see the evolution of how I decided I wanted to draw people. Yes, Uh, there's a lot of choices in that. There's there's a thought process in that. Like, I've I would say like in my comic, 
because it wasn't character stuff generally, it was just like a concept. I like to kill my characters or tear them apart <laughs> sure. or like do horrible shit. Sure. X's for eyes is a staple in your comic. X's for eyes, <laughs> dot eyes, so you're not too, they're not too human. They did you, okay, I was going to ask, noodle did you, limbed and like, did you spend an untoward amount of, time thinking about the psychological impact of the eye style well because i think every yeah. Uh, yeah comic artist i've talked about it's like do i want the oval eyes with a pupil do yep. they have an iris are they yeah. just the dot eyes calvin had vertical circles with no filling yeah what does that mean is that why that comic was so good the eyes are very important i, I think just giving I, with what the way I wanted to be funny, you had to have distance between you and and what was happening to yeah, the more, characters. Yeah. If, if you if you are like feeling bad for my cowboy that's getting shot in the head or whatever, like that's yeah. that's taking away from the comedy <laughs> of yeah, it yes. just being the idea. Like, isn't this a silly thing if yeah. this were to happen? Right. Yeah. So you do. You. I remember being like, oh, maybe I should draw it like a little more detailed or a little more like this. And I was like, no, because then you'll care about who this is and you <laughs> i can't, can't do panels where their brain is splattered yeah yeah for real weird. like yeah did yeah. you think of uh uh or i'm sorry i imagine you've read understanding comics i never have Ooh, so fucking good especially the part about eyes realism versus non-realism how it affects this human psyche sure uh our bias for seeing human faces and things yeah. because of the way our brain's wired and fucking like it goes into why tintin is the smartest drawn comic ever, and it's very persuasive. Hergé is like a, an actual a big influence on my art. Style. I think Tintin's cool. fabulous. The, the, the story stuff. can be a little dry, but it's a great comic if you appreciate comics. I mean, it came out a long time ago, so it's yeah. starting to feel old fashioned. But I just like the boldness of that take. You know, what Tintin's I mean? the best like, comic. I'm right. out. But like, it's <laughs> it's the best because I can prove it by the way it's drawn. That's, I, yeah. It's like, yeah. All right, here we go. And the, I'm into the that. five pages explaining it, you're like. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's interesting. I'll have um, to read it. Or like it's the most strategically sound art style for what it was trying to accomplish. And by learning that, you learn what all those tools are. You know what I mean? Like he goes through, Tintin has this kind of eyes because it does this, not this kind of eyes or this kind of eyes. And man, for, for anyone who's interested in drawing comics, the tool bag is really like, yeah, that's useful oh, that's info. Oh, really interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm, huh. I'm trying to think of... Detail level of backgrounds, yeah. when to use just like splashes and gradients as your background versus a realistic background. Yeah. There's Great a lot advice in that thing. Yeah. Uh, Swain, was it George Carlin who converted you into being a sun worshiper? No, I am a devout sun worshiper. <laughs> I was converted to that religion by looking at the fucking sun. Yeah. That's all I needed. Like his regular pupils and irises, those are contacts. It's a yeah. white blur back Under there. here, it's yeah. just acid level of dilation yeah. with sun pouring in unfettered. Yeah. Brian Harrington asks, I was trying to remember if I know Brian Harrington, but I don't think I do. Sorry, Brian, if I do. After Vonnegut and Coen Brothers Brothers, what would you like to do next in the Examine an Artist in Chronological Order podcast series? That's a question for me, because me and Abe host that. We have no ideas. We have plenty of time to figure it out, because Coen Brothers Brothers still has 13 more episodes to go. I got some ideas. Um, I really would like to do the whole Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series, I, but I would want to do it with Alex. He can't work with us. Unless until Crack does fold, because he's one of the few people still employed there. Mm. Um, so I'm kind of saving that for Alex Schmidt. Um, but of course, there's other great artists we'd like to cover. Maybe every Onstead storyline? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, boy. That's an interesting comment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Uh, also, I don't know. A webcomic might be too sparse to turn into an hour-long analysis podcast. Yeah, but, I mean, with that, it, of Ryan the has of a the face ones, saying ape, he could ape do wood, it. You could kind of, you can really dig in. Kind of can. There's enough characterization in cartilage head. There's a lot to unpack. <laughs> yeah. psychologically, or, or even just on status and uh, as a writer. All I mean, the blogs, like his yeah, the recipes, his paintings. I own an Onstad painting. I'm very proud of. Yeah. All right, Ryan Bodish asks, you guys have must-sees and must-reads, but there, are there any particular meals that you think no one on earth can die before trying mine as kimchi because it's so unique? <laughs> that seems like a quick that's answer. A Let's just question. go around the horn. Yeah, that's great get-to-know-you question. Icebreaker question. I think you have to have some kind of sushi. It think, would be weird if you never had any. Oh, I, see. I yeah. just think it's a really unique food. Sure. And... uh it's also a really well-made food. If, if you get well-made sushi. If you sushi, get well-made yeah. sushi. Right? <laughs> it shows off its well-madeness. I'm going to go with Long Pig. Just look it up. It's, it's amazing. You can order it on the deep web. That's Long Pig, a.k.a. cooked human meat. <laughs> now I'll go with that. Uh, <laughs> I will say, and I know this is stereotypical, but it's goddamn true. If I could only eat one thing for the rest of my life, it would be a bean and cheese burrito from La Posta de Acapulco on Campos Road in San Diego, California, specifically Spring Valley neighborhood. Yeah. Best meal on the face of the planet Earth, if you ask me. I've set several scenes in my new screenplay at that restaurant, and it doesn't just say interior Mexican restaurant. It says interior La Posta de Acapulco, Campos (laughs) Road, Spring Valley, California. So that's where we're filming. Hopefully they say yes. Hopefully they say C, yeah. Is that (laughs) problematic? Uh, I don't know. All right, you can always change we'll it. We'll ride with it. You can always cut it. Nope. Uh, now I can't. <laughs> I honestly, I'm struggling with this answer really hard, and I'm not even sure why. Not I just a food like fan? so many different. No, I love oh, food, okay, okay. but I like I like such a broad spectrum of food. I can't think of anything that like you have to. Not a music have. guy. Don't like food. <laughs> nah. <laughs> uh, Water sucks. <laughs> I kind of think sushi is like coming from a. Small town. I never, I sure. don't know. I never tried it till I was like in my twenties. And it's if you're if you're if you've never been exposed to anything, it's very strange. It is. Have you had Ethiopian food? I don't know if I have. I don't know if I have it either. Ooh, you guys, we're yeah. in L.A. Go to Little Ethiopia. Okay. There's a lot of great restaurants there, but I'll shout out Meals by Janae is one of my favorite places to go. G E N E T. If you live in the L.A. area, enjoy the sights and sounds and taste, hey, my friend, of the city of angels. And if you've never had <laughs> Ethiopian food. There's a reason that like worldwide polls of chefs, like five star chefs and shit, or three star Michelin chefs, they always vote Ethiopian food as the best. Like I need to see these polls version of food. This is some Fox so News polling right here. <laughs> if you go to Meals by Janae, order what? the sampler, yeah. and do eat the greasy, soggy piece of bread in the middle that you'd think you wouldn't eat. It's the best bite. Okay. That's that's that. Uh, all right, great. We're Rob, gonna, we're gonna have to do this. We'll, oh, I'd love to go with you, dude. That'd be so fun. Let's do yeah, that. We should yeah. do that. <coughs> I'm in. It's in. You have to say yes because you're on mic, but I seriously would if you want to. <laughs> I seriously am yeah, nodding at that. Robin Rude, R U U D, says, "What are your guys' stances on the role of humor when tragedies hit? Cool. Is it a great way to cope, or have we stopped taking things seriously?" You mean what is the current role of comedy when tragedy hits? Ooh, good point. I think it changes based on is what he's asking. Day by day, yeah, it changes. Ooh, that's no, I, th- I, tough. he, she, Robin. Either way, who knows? Oh, Robin. I'm sorry. But Ro- I think Robin definitely means current. Right. When a tragedy happens, can you joke about it immediately? How do you joke about it? 
for me, it's always a matter of how the joke is structured because if there is something bad happening and there's people at fault, humor about it is one of the best ways to get in their face, convince people of your argument. Um, but you have to understand the underlying, underlying structure of satire and it has to be like painfully clear or I think you're in a lot of trouble. Right. Barring cruelty, because I think there's a place in, com- in comedy that's cruel and, and, I think, and that I don't like I'm, I'm, and I never will. Barring that... Um, I think that comedy always has a place at every moment in every conversation, but not always an audience. Mm. Like, you know, the day that September 11th happened, to take an example, probably wasn't a big audience for jokes that day. You know what I mean? But, but like, not that it's zero. But it might not have there been zero. There could be one guy who would have laughed. And, what or, does that mean? I don't know. And I don't mean, I don't mean <laughs> cruel laugh, like enjoying the pain of it laugh. Right, that's why like I made you that. could make a gentle joke yeah. that they would commiserate or with Or one that's laugh. like, let's alleviate this horrifying sadness. Because with for, silly humor. for most people, yeah. comedy is uh, a diversion and it's like a reboot in the middle of trauma. I think that's you know? what they yeah. think it is, but I actually think for most people, comedy shapes all their opinions and they just don't realize it. Well, I, like I, think, think, that's, <laughs> I think that's programming yeah. that does that. I mean, Drama and, can do it too. Yeah, it's anything. Well, Media does it. Comedy is the thing that you're going to take around to your friends and all like communally enjoy. Like, I'm always fascinated with the fact that people gather together and joke at each other in this sort of like weird social send-off way. I've tried to like, but you don't really see it as a narrative function, but that's how we do it. And it gives you the opportunity to talk about darker things in a way that's approachable and not, you can, if you can joke about something horrible that happened without it being a cruel joke, I mean, everyone can kind of commiserate and actually understand it and, and come to terms with it. True. And it maybe not in a better way than if you're just being serious about it, but in a way like where a lot of people would just not talk about something or would not, what? I saw jokes about September 11th on September 11th, by and the way. I like? recall this. It was a different... Live? T- I like mean, stand-up? On, on the TV? internet. Oh, there gotcha. was like yeah, yeah, stuff sure. immediately. Yeah. I remember, and this is, I'm not saying this was a good joke or a funny thing, but I remember the first thing when I got home from school, hmm. there were edited videos of the towers with the yakety sacks playing over it oh, that day. Oh, wow, God. that's crazy because when you started the story, that's what I was going to guess. Oh, really? Meaning that's the laziest possible comedic also thing. The yeah, yeah, yeah. Also but, the first. Also the first thing. But yeah. at the time, I seemed. I remember, like there was a big, weirdly positive reaction. It was like people taking such a far step back that they couldn't be horrified by they it. Had almost to, like or, that. Yeah. Like that still exists, but not in the same way now. I think where it's just like putting a wall down in between right. you and the thing, and being like. But That's if there was it. a kid there who aunt just died in the Twin Towers, they would have been funny. like, shut that shit up. Well, I, think, I also think comedy is an attempt to control Emotions. circumstances. Well, yeah, no, okay. not just us, but circumstances. And uh, that because of that, it's a necessary human thing. Like, it, we need comedy to exert control on a world that cannot be controlled. And those of us who want to have a serious direct conversation. How many times have you had a really serious direct conversation with somebody about something that's, that has emotional weight to it? Very few. Often, but I don't think that's normal. I, I have a, I've intentionally launched podcasts to do that. Yes. <laughs> Where I yes, do it on the air. Yes, but most people will do anything 
to not have yeah, yeah. yeah. strangers that's when you're what getting I feel to like know that them is. Yeah. yeah that's someone being like i don't want to feel what i'm feeling this is f- too fucked up right. for me to even fathom i'm going to make it i'm going to make it not real yeah and yeah. i kind of feel like that's what that, like i don't know the comedy has that role in the same way now because that was so long ago and that was like the infancy of internet forums and when we still the, cheered the culture for, was very different we still cheered for wwe on its own terms back then that's <laughs> that's how that's how different of a culture we, we were yeah uh, well i think that's real what you're saying comedy is like this strange like i'm gonna find a way out of plato's cave but i don't have to look at it you know what i mean that's like what comedy it's like backing out of plato's cave yeah uh yeah awesome <laughs> I had something to add, but I think it's slipped away. Mm. Uh, oh, I remember. And then he just makes a fart sound. Just the case-by-case case <laughs> aspect of something I don't have the answer to, and as a comedy writer, I always want the answer to, but I don't think there might not be an answer that is correct, and everything has to be fully con- context-based. But it's, bo- it's true that humor has to cross the line in order to do some of the things it does. It certainly has to flirt with the line. It has to question things. It has to not be afraid to fail. Um, But it's easy with something extreme like, let's say, a pedophilic sex assault joke that you're like, well, that's going to offend most people in the audience, so I could not say it. But things that are even way statistically smaller, like I just guessed it on podcasts where they had a serious uh, conversation with someone who wrote in, and it was like, you used the name Billy in your podcast, and my Uncle Billy molested me growing up. It offends me that you said the name Billy. It triggered me and gave me a whole re-traumatized panic attack. And of course, I think they were right in saying, we're sorry that happened, but how could we control that? You know, it's not our responsibility. So the answer or what's right is somewhere in between those poles, but I have no idea where it actually lies. Because, you know, if you make a multiple sclerosis joke, if it's clever and not cruel, everyone could laugh in the audience if it's a small audience. But if it's a big enough audience, chances are someone in the crowd has MS or knows someone with MS who's struggling with it right now, no matter how kind or silly the joke is, they're going to be a little offended or at least like hurt by the fact that this tragedy is brought freshly to their mind when they were trying to enjoy a comedy show. But by the same token, unless you're going to go the children's route and be a Pixar movie, which I do admire, the ability to make jokes that transcend language, culture, everything. Uh, How do you make pointed satirical jokes, especially, without someone getting offended? And yet, I would like to go through this life hurting as many, as few people as as many, (laughs) as few people as possible. But I don't know how you do that as a comedian to 100% accuracy. You don't. You can't. You don't. But that's not a thing. I do think being, being mindful and trying to come at something from not the correct, politically correct angle necessarily, but like the, from a, a thoughtful angle is where things, like where the, the, the line is for me. Like I was watching, and this is a bummer because I really like uh, like him a lot, but like um, Chappelle's stuff. Oh shit, it was His rough. newer stuff, he goes into trans jokes. super rough. And the thing is, I think Chappelle is very good generally yeah. at taking a serious topic and then like when he's talking about racial stuff and earlier stuff, it's like, he has such a deep, deep knowledge of all of that <laughs> stuff that when he jokes about it, he doesn't step in traps. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't, you know, he doesn't fuck it up. I don't think Dave knows enough about the trans experience 
to dive into that and be or the current dialogue mainstream american culture uh, is having with trans people yeah (laughs) i i i think that he he thinks it's a contentious thing that he can dig into and that he's experienced to whatever degree but like i i just think it's a matter of not being aware enough of the topic that he's talking about to be nuanced and then it comes and it ends up coming across as mean as as mean hearted and i don't think dave Chappelle is a cruel hearted person i don't think so i think that's the problem is he well the thing i was thinking was this he made a point when he quit the Chappelle show that the thing that was bothering him was looking out into the audience and seeing people the wrong people laughing at the wrong time at the wrong time <laughs> yeah and i think that's what he did with his trans material is yeah. he's telling jokes to a crowd that is not particularly understanding or receptive to the trans experience necessarily. Hey, I was at that show, motherfucker. Well, <laughs> you can see me in that crowd shot. And I, how <laughs> accepting are you? <laughs> I was laughing because it was my place yeah, yeah, to yeah. laugh at that time yeah, and place. Yeah. But not, I did I'm, feel I'm bad not. when I, it's funny because so many people write are like, did you know you're in the Chappelle show special? And I'm like, yeah, I wish I was laughing at a really good joke. They caught me laughing at a joke I kind of find hateful. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Now it's on tape forever. And and I don't think that he's meaning to do that. I don't no. think that's his intention, but I think the problem is if you if you don't have a good enough a full enough understanding of what you're talking about, your jokes are going to come across like you're doing it at the expense of the the you're punching down. And, yeah. and yeah. I, I think comedy should never, ever, I just don't think it should punch down. I don't think that's the, com- no, I think com- that's comedy, cool. the point of comedy is to punch up. I can't think ch- of a time it was funny with the colossal succession of like self-deprecation, which I guess is punching straight. Right. But like, yeah. yeah, either examine your own foibles or the foibles that are bringing us all down. Don't look down and be like, what's wrong with the people who are having more trouble than me. That makes no sense. Right, yeah. And You're it, a jester. What are you going to go make fun of the peasants? It's not funny. I yeah. also just thought that Chunk was so much lazier structurally than he usually is. Well, it's lazy I think because he feels like, well. oh, I'm in a new arena. I can hit all the low-hanging fruit again, but... Right. You're trans chunk, and you're Dave Chappelle, one of the most innovative comedy writers in our lifetime. And you're going to say, you're going to mind cutting your dick off and throwing it away. I'm exactly. like, that's the number one lazy trans joke that anyone could possibly make. It's fucking, 100%. it's just not clever. You're, yeah. The people, the people <laughs> laughing at that are not, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's that, easy. I think like, it's too easy. What do you think, like, how, how do you feel like we culturally should handle that? The same exact way we are. Oh boy, I don't know. No, if three, I, don't think, I don't think this is more complicated than what you guys. It just is very complicated because I don't know if three white guys. Oh, do you mean like are the people no, no. to say I what mean, Dave Chappelle should be doing? If you follow, no, we just you? did. I, 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 I'm just saying. I'm not asking about prescribe exactly the right way to handle it sure. for this situation. Do you mean the material or or responding to bad material or material yes, that we don't like? As a culture, responding to material we don't want. What I, should we do? I don't know. I, I feel like we should we should culture, know the answer to that. But there's I, no, factions like of people. There's factions of people who haven't had comedy that serves them, and even if I don't get it, deserve comedy that serves their tribe. You know, whatever. Okay, so that's a component of the answer. I think it is, but yeah. I can't possibly sort out yeah. how much what who has the right to have comedy tailored to them, who doesn't. But I think what you said is right that we are culturally figuring it out. Yeah. 
you know, and I, I think, we, I think we we're have figuring to. out a few things. Like, in, yeah. in, I think Atlanta's carving yeah. out a lot of new comedy space that you're like, yes, it's this not about, can happen. Uh, it's not great. about carving out what is and isn't comedy. It's not about that. It's it's also not about saying what is and isn't funny. It's not right. about that either. But I think it is about what's saying what has actual dialogue to have with society I that think, is pertinent. Well, I think there's. I think that's a component of the conversation. Unless you watch an airplane. Or but whatever. I'm asking, what about <laughs> you know, what about something that e- either isn't really funny or isn't really rele- relevant? Sure. What do we do with that? Do ignore we banish it? them? Do I- we? Well, but we don't ignore it. That's not what we do. Well, you, should, you shouldn't just you be banished ignore. for not being funny. That's not... So what you do you do when it. Dave... Sh- you talk about it. When I Dave mean, Chappelle has one special doing. you don't think is funny? And I thought and there it, were bits that were funny. Yeah. I just thought the trans chunk didn't do it for me and yeah. offended me. But yeah. at the same time as we were just saying, part of me goes like, but is it weird for me to have a right not to be offended? May, like, I don't even know if the right answer is... It's mean to be mean to trans people. I stand behind that. I wouldn't be mean to trans people. But is he, quote unquote, not allowed to make that joke and have an audience who laughs at it? I don't know. I don't know the right answer. I don't know. The end. I, like, I honestly. That's the weird thing. Is I have so uh, little yeah. to bring to this I feel this like I want to have a specific opinion, but <laughs> well, it honestly is like, I just don't know. I know knows. that I can Nobody be uncomfortable. Knows. Nobody knows. I can watch it and go, Oh, but what? here's the, here's and the that's thing. about as far as I know how to go with it. But here's the thing. So like, uh, because I, the whole time I when I when I listen to conversations about this online and even here, I'm like I'm having a debate in my mind. Like I agree with some of that, some of that I don't. I just don't like the tone in which that was said. Like you know what I mean? Like we're all I'm I'm forcing it through me. I'm forcing it through me and my categories. Right? We all do this. Um. But the problem is the categories of nuance that are required now are also paralyzing there's yeah. an element of paralysis in our ability to make mm. in, in, to really effectively agree. evaluate i know i know you don't <laughs> Here's but, my, like, I, but I, our <laughs> ability to effectively evaluate in terms of being actionable oh it sure. becomes paralyzing okay. not in terms of does it have meaning oh okay but in terms of how to respond to a thing I we all f- do this i also feel like people f- get the feeling that they're paralyzed and can't take good actions in this life because uh, things are so fractured and fractured into so many different I- ideologies. New jargons are developing that you feel like, oh, to be a good citizen is to have this massive knowledge base. But I just want to push back on that in the sense that I interact regularly with many types of people who are going through sure. many of these struggles and from sure. these different groups. And I have put my foot in my mouth by not knowing jargon or calling someone she when they prefer they. I've never had a situation where being generally empathetic and just thinking, what would I do if the roles were reversed, hasn't worked. It works for everyone it who's totally not does. an asshole. So like in that case, I was like, blah, 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 she, and, and they said, I prefer to be called they. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. You know, I had that knee jerk of like, did I fuck up and lose right. all social points or hurt this person deeply, more importantly? And they're like, no, of course. It's like, fine. It's fine. So like... At the same time, I understand that we are getting all these new ideas thrust at us, and there's people who are like, I just don't like change. Why do we need new gender pronouns? I learned these four gender pronouns. And that's just one example, but I also have to say that most situations are navigable if you're just not a reactionary asshole. Right. (laughs) If you don't don't feel like that stuff is being thrust upon you and and unfair, which seems to be a really common reaction right now of like, oh, I can't do comedy at universities because everyone's so... And it's like, 
what are you talking about? Like, I, I've heard hmm. so many people say that, and I just don't really buy it. I think it's like you're you're you want to be able to write absolutely anything you want and have everyone react the same way to it. But that, of course, that's not the case. But guess you live what? in a different well, era. It, vaudeville it jokes, exactly. Vaudeville right. jokes didn't scan in the seventies. Like right. it used to be that you, yeah, you always have to change because the audience taste change. Right. Comedy is famously right. Temporal, whereas yes. drama can last a lot longer and have the same impact. That's that's totally Where does Jerry fair. Seinfeld get off going, doing the same material, and be like, no one laughs? I guess kids don't have a sense of humor anymore. Dude, write new shit. Maybe you're less funny than you were. Or, you yeah, know, do more. some or research. Or you had a better you had a better connection to an audience in a different time than now. Yeah. That happens to people. Comedians uh, don't believe that, though. I, I mean, nobody I'm, believes I'm watching it. comedians in cars getting coffee. It's oh funny my gosh, how many yeah. people are like, yeah. the times have changed. So the comedy's and, not funny and anymore. And therefore, people yeah, yeah, aren't yeah. being funny now. <laughs> like, even people I think are funny, like, like, although he just stepped in it recently, but like Norm MacDonald, yeah. who I think his comedy is really funny. Sure. He's, he talks about that constantly where it's like, like, how comedy that's about personal things isn't as worthwhile as just like straight com- and it's like man why why do older yeah. white Watch dudes always Mike Birbiglia fall and learn a thing or two like you can still learn <laughs> yeah talk to someone that's not 55 <laughs> yeah. and in the exact totally. same circle that you've always hung out you. in yeah. but see you're I mean everything you guys are saying is totally right on and I agree with it and yet <laughs> and yet uh, this is what we go to when prompted to respond to how do we how do we evaluate in an actionable way bad comedy? The way we do it is like fuck you, comedian. Uh, figure it out, and maybe that's the right thing to oh, do. Oh, see, previous answer. I don't know. When you I add know, the but, word actionable, I'm like, yeah, I don't know. But that's important, I think, right? Because <laughs> it when is. it, is, I wish when I it isn't actionable, <laughs> when it isn't actionable, what happens is that we grumble about it and become angry. At a, at a person or a group of people, right? Like, that's what happens when you're paralyzed by factors that are not reconcilable, you know, is that you get angry at that. Mm-hmm. And, like, I got to do something about it. And you maybe get busy is, trying to make it make sense to you, different right. coping mechanisms, and, and, yeah. And there's frustration to that, and, yep. and therefore it's projected at, you know, whoever the easiest target is. And Why in this can't case, they just fucking get in shape, yeah. Right, whatever it is. Yeah. Right. And... I'm not saying anything you said was wrong about any of these comedians. I totally agree with it. But I am really interested in the idea that, like, this paralysis of this this actionable paralysis of ideology is a thing. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in it, and I want to see us. And it's get pressing somewhere. in our time. I don't think we'll solve it on this bonus podcast. Let's just sit here and talk about it for the next 50 minutes or so. <laughs> we're well over 90 minutes at this point. I think we're going to solve it. By far the longest bonus episode so far. I think sorry, it's been yeah. a great sorry. one. It's, no, I'm sorry. I, I don't want some shit there. No, man. It's great, great stuff. We love tangents here, but I am going to wrap us up in the interest of the rest of the recordings we have to do today. Yeah. Zach Hudson back with the third question. Don't get greedy, Zach. That's too many. I'm skipping it. <laughs> Final question is from Event Horizon. Thank you, Event Horizon. Are there any nonprofits you guys support? So speaking of virtue signaling, which we've arguably done for the last 10 minutes, except Adam. <laughs> I Nope. Taking me. a strong stance against virtue signaling. Uh, do we? <laughs> are there any charities you want to shout out? Interesting question. Good question. Actionable question. Actionable question, yeah. No, uh, no. <laughs> I don't have a charity that springs to mind immediately. Do you have one? Yeah, I have a good strong plug to end with. Oh, great. If, oh, uh, if you guys don't, I don't. I don't consistently 
donate to any specific charity, but what I like to do is find... What a hard... Right? Isn't this like a kind of yeah, mean question? This is terrible. Well, <laughs> well, I was, no, what I'm saying is that uh, what I like to do is find creators on Patreon ah, who are broke yeah, I do and that. who are making stuff that I find politically important or, sure. you know, that, that are... Yeah. Doing something that I don't see other people doing or talking about issues I don't see people talking about, and I like to support them personally yeah. and send them actual support cash. some news, yeah. some more news. Oh shit! I just got Cody sued by EW Scripts. Now you did some no, more it, news. He'll be he'll be fine. He'll use their computer to thwart yeah. them. Um, I uh, talked about my actual charity history and like financial charity history on. Teresa Lee's wonderful podcast. You can tell me anything, so check out my episode if you want to hear about that. But this is a great chance to plug something that's coming up on this network, which is uh, I've been having a series of pre-production meetings with White People for Black Lives Matter, which is the L.A. chapter affiliated with Surge National, which is closely affiliated and aligned with Black Lives Matter. So uh, it's looking like things are in process for Small Beans Network to be the official host of the Black Lives Matter podcast, and there is not an wow. official Black Lives Matter podcast. We're talking about getting Patrice Cullors, the founder of BLM, on there as a guest. Honoré Brown, a.k.a. X-Rated, the rapper who just got released after 26 years in prison, as a guest. Uh, and I think that's really going to be cool. So I do think I've always felt that it is important to try and use humor in writing and implant messages, which is why I have a big chip on my shoulder about movies that are just exercises in. You've seen a million vengeance movies, but this one looks different. I don't care, because I think ideas are important, and I think you owe it when you get a million dollars or more to make a movie, to have something to say. <laughs> um, so I do, I do. I'm not, I'm not unbiased, I wanna persuade people. Uh, and we're going down that road. We're gonna have a pretty politically radical podcast running in the not too distant future. Completely staffed by a production team provided by Surge National. So there'll be, um, in some cases, homeless people who are like working on, well, I'll be teaching them production skills and things like that. Um, so we're trying to use the art to make it happen, amplify important issues, and that should be fun. I love that you're doing that. And I'd be lying really cool. if I Very said cool. we're not like also like, and probably Patrice Colors will bring some listeners in that we haven't had before. Sure. I mean, it's, Excited it's good to, to benefit the audience, some good things. As always, yeah. It's good, it's good for people to thrive when they do yeah. good things. So look for that. Know? It's going to be a podcast focused on uh, issues of intersectionality and how to take all the nice, warm feelings we all have and put online and easily make them actionable in your busy lives. It's called Show Up. Uh, so yeah, look for that. I, I know I just really rammed home this word actionable. No, I, dude, I, you like teed me up for an amazing plug for something <laughs> I've been meaning to plug. So. Okay, fair enough. Uh, it's probably on the horizon because there's a lot of ins, a lot of outs, yeah. a lot of layers. Uh, and we want to do it right. And we're doing it with a lot of, uh, you know, connection with Surge National and BLM, a lot of guidance. So that's coming. Don't hold your breath about it, but that's coming. Uh, I think that's it. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us for this bonus cast. Thanks for having me. Again... Can you recap, if you'd be so kind? Uh, hey, okay, for variety's sake, because we just did a one-ups and you sort of recapped other stuff, tell us a little bit, a little blurb about your new show, whatever you're legally allowed to say. Oh, okay. And then we'll be out. Okay, uh, Infinity Train, it's coming out 2019. I'm not sure exactly when. It is about a young girl who wakes up to find herself trapped on a mysterious train and uh of infinite length of infinite length 
and attempts to leave. Great. That's, I think Love that's that. about all I can Snow say. Snowpiercer, cool the animated idea. series, coming yeah. to Cartoon Network in 2019. I'm very excited. <laughs> what a cool idea. Awesome. I'm excited about that. Thanks, guys. We'll talk again next month. Yeah.